The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. Eric, I'm finally back after my um, after my illness. Thank you once again to you and Brian last week for uh, picking up the slack. And uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that my illness was the result of the uh, <laughs> championship games the previous Sunday. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, well, all right. Well, that's fair. I mean, uh, that's good to see. Good, good to hear. Good to hear. It's a uh, fun. Uh, it's yeah. the Super Bowl week, but lots of uh, stuff going on around UCF yeah. that. Uh, should be fun to uh, should be a super a super show, shall we say? Yeah. So we got so so we're gonna kind of really dive into spring here with this um, with this show. Uh, we're gonna, first thing we're gonna hit on is um, basketball. We'll catch you up on men's and women's UCF men's hoops uh, coming off the victory against UConn at home uh, the other night. That's why we're getting this out on uh, recording this Thursday night um, as opposed to our, our regular like. Thursday morning, like Wednesday night, Thursday morning, because we had the basketball game. We wanted to kind of digest that before we get in. And uh, and Eric has uh, an interview with Brian Canico, the uh, women, head coach of UCF women's tennis, um, starting out uh, starting out in, in his uh, second year. They've uh, already gotten off to a pretty good start. They defeated um, number 15 South Carolina in their uh, opener, and uh, they continue to roll through their season uh, as well. Right now they're 2-1. and one. Uh, uh, with uh, Troy coming into town uh, and North Florida in a doubleheader on uh, Sunday. So um, good interview there, and we've got uh, plenty more. for. We'll also hit a little uh, NFL draft talk with some UCF guys, and we'll hit a little Super Bowl as well because uh, we always like to talk Super Bowl. So uh, real quick, uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest. Um, don't forget to follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Like us there. Give us a follow. Let us know what you think. Um, hit us up with some questions, too. I want to start getting some more interaction between, um, uh, re- between us and the listeners because, we, you know, we haven't had that many questions, believe it or not. Like, I, if we have questions, I'll, I'll, put, you know, I'll, I'll answer them. I'll read your name out, on, and I don't care. I mean, it's perfectly fine with us. We want a little bit more interaction, at least as much, at le- at least as, much as the Nightline guys are getting. <laughs> but we've got um, also t- on Twitter, uh, UCF underscore Banneret. You can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can hit Eric up at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to also follow Spokes underscore Murphy. That's our buddy Brian Murphy. And underscore DS Warden for Derek Warden, our uh, resident uh, photographer extraordinaire. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, um, or rather Apple Podcasts. Uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Elo, let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. Let's talk a little. Um, start off with men's basketball at fourteen and seven. Um, we've talked about the injuries, but here they are. They've uh, they've won two of their last three at USF. They took the loss at Wichita State, um, but came back home on Wednesday night in a late starting game, nine p.m. because of television on CBS Sports Network. Got the nine point win over UConn. Um, and I thought this was a really big win for UCF, you know, kind of coming off of like, okay, you know, because right now they're trying to figure out, okay, what does this team look like without Taco Fall and without Aubrey Dawkins, but with B.J. Taylor, who's, I think we can both can agree, less than 100%. Uh, that said, B. 
BJ led uh, uh, all scorers with 20 points in this game on 7 of 10 from the field. He was also 5 of 10 at the line. Um, 10 points each for A.J. Davis and Chad Brown. Chad filling in uh, admirably, I think, in the middle for Taco. Um, you also had uh, Deion Griffin coming off the bench, coming off the bench with 12 points uh, and 8 rebounds. So my question to you is, you know, we watched this game. Um, you know, I was watching on TV. I think you were, I think you were watching as well. No, Brian was all. Yeah, Brian was, was there. Did, did it feel like... Um, did it feel like the team turned a corner in this game? I'm not ready to say that. I think uh, certainly I think if anything, it gives you optimism. I think they're starting to click a little bit, especially on offense, which we kind of thought would happen when BJ returned. And, and I think clearly there's confidence on the court when BJ's on the court and running the offense. So I, I think from that standpoint, it gives you optimism, uh, it gives you some, you know, they've made some adjustments without Taco Fall. One of the advantages they do have uh, without Taco Fall, it's not like Taco Fall was a 35-minute a guy a player. You know what I mean? Right. So he, he usually would play about 20, 25. So they've been used to playing without him on the court. And I think Chad Brown, too, is credit, who I think has been the most improved player on this roster this season compared to last season, has paid dividends to them. And I think they have figured out some ways where they can be a little more creative with Chad Brown on the offensive side. Now, it, it, it's weird because I think Connecticut's a mess. And you wonder, and I wonder as I watch Connecticut play, and I know they've had some injuries that Coach Dawkins even alluded to on his postgame. I mean, I've watched Connecticut now. I watched them obviously against UCF, and I watched them on the Sunday night game at Temple, and they got blown out. And I've seen them a handful of times, and I just wonder – you know, they're being uh, right now investigated, according to reports by the NCAA, for some recruiting questions. I, I, Kevin Ollie right now is kind of – I wonder if he survives this season. Now, we'll find out. Connecticut's always a team that makes a run late in the season and for for the season. But I thought that was a must-win for UCF. I, I thought the Connecticut game was a game that was going to tell you if this season was going to go uh, up or down you know if they lose that game to connecticut now you're like oh boy now that where is this season going but the fact they won that game i think gives you optimism into a big game against houston which is a much better team who i think have the i think the guy that's going to win the american conference player of the year in gray i think it gives you optimism in fact it, it, it and, and and credit to coach dawkins i mean this team has dealt with injuries and he seems for two years really since he's been here if you think about it yeah and the guy seems to – he never blinks. He never blinks. And one thing that's a trait of Coach Dawkins is he ensues confidence in those guys that it doesn't matter what's the adversity they're dealing with, that they have a chance to win. In fact, here, here's a cl clip from the postgame after the win against Connecticut. Coach Dawkins, he says, look, I'm a half-full guy, and we got nine games to make our season. I'm a cup half-full guy, not half-empty. I believe that – you know, our best basketball is still ahead of us this season. We have nine regular season games remaining. We have nine great opportunities. We have nine great opportunities, and uh, we're going to try to max them out. You know, and that's how we talk, you know, as, as a staff to our team. You know, we believe in our guys. They believe in us. 
and we're going to go out and compete every night and see what can happen. That's Coach Dawkins, and, and credit to him. And, and, you know, it's funny, Jeff, you know, me and Murph talked about this last week when we talked about Taco being gone. And Murph was very positive and optimistic about the season without Taco. He he bought into what Coach Dawkins was talking about. I was obviously a little concerned. I was more cynical on it. But, I, I it, you know, I think this team is certainly going to still win some games. And there's something about Coach Dawkins – uh, that, that that's really a belief. He has a belief uh, that the players and that you're around them, you believe. And I think that's the, the big takeaway that I would uh, I would take is I think Coach Dawkins, no matter what the adverse situation is, they believe they're going to win some games here. They got nine games to prove it. We'll find out. Uh, I think Houston will be the big test here in the short term because I think Houston's a very talented team. It sets up a, a marquee game. And you look at their schedule. All right. This is why I thought the Connecticut game was big. You got Houston now on Saturday, noon tip. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Cincinnati, which has proven, you know, with all the hype and rightfully so and all the attention that Wichita State has gotten this season, Cincinnati is the best team in the American Conference. And, you know, I watched them against Houston come back from double digits. They're not, and you mentioned this a few weeks ago, they're not even playing at their home court right. this season. Uh, and they're just dominating teams, they're deep. Uh, I think they're the team to beat in the Americans. So you got Houston, then they got to go to Cincinnati, and then they got to go to Memphis, which even though Memphis is kind of average, they're still quietly, you know, 14 and 8. And you got to go to Memphis where UCF has not won a game. I think the UCF season, when it comes to as far as the NCAA tournament, if you if we can start having that conversation again, will be determined how they do these next three games. I think these next three games will tell me more of, hey, I'm going to buy in now all of a sudden, and maybe they have turned the corner to what you brought up earlier. Then I'll start believing that they've turned a corner. But I think we're going to find out where the, uh, the next three games, uh, if they have indeed turned the corner. Well, as we look um, you know, at Houston, this is the number two scoring offense in the, in the, um, in, in the, in the conference. Uh, they're averaging 78 a game. They come into this game 16-5. and five. Um, they are also the fourth-best-scoring defense in the league. UCF, by the way, second in that category behind Cincinnati. But um, this, is a, this, is a, this, might, this might be actually, depending on how you look at it, this might be Kelvin Sampson's best Houston team that he's had there. Um, very good shooting team, by the way, third in the conference in field goal percentage and third in the conference in field goal percentage defense. So like you were saying, you know, aside, from, aside from Cincinnati and Wichita, you know, this is the biggest test, I think, for this team right now. At least you get them on the home floor, which is good. Um, the other thing that I'm looking at here, you know, as we look at the um, standings, and one of the things that I'm, um, that I'm sort of keeping an eye on here is do you kind of stay in that upper third? All right, so right now, Cincinnati's kind of running away with the conference at 9-0. and Wichita State and Houston are tied in the loss column with three losses in the league. Uh, tied for yeah, which Yeah, how about that storyline? Yeah. Wichita State going down uh, to Temple, to Temple in, in Temple, in a great tonight. basketball game. A team that UCF I watched in person crush uh, in person, which tells you how deep this league is. It's very weird. Like Temple, they've got a top ten schedule and they can beat anybody, and that's a team that UCF crushed. So uh, this conference is very deep. You know, and as I think as we get into March, I think this is a three to four bid league. And, 
you know, Houston, I think, is right now the third best team in the league. You look at their resume real quick. They beat Arkansas by 26. That's an NCAA tournament team, Arkansas. They crushed Providence out of the Big East. That's a potential NCAA tournament team. They beat Wichita State by 14 at home. They had a double-digit lead on Cincinnati and kind of let you know, Cincinnati came from behind and, and beat them. This is a talented Houston team. I agree. It is the best Calvin Sampson team that he's had there since he's rebuilt this program here when he arrived a few years ago. Good little note on the American as a whole. Ten of the 12 teams are above, are at 500 or above overall. UConn is at 500 at 11 and 11. Uh, ECU and USF are 8 and 13 and 8 and 15, respectively. And then when you look at the conference records, you got obviously those top three that we mentioned. UCF and Memphis are tied at 5 and 4 in fourth place. SMU and Tulsa are 5 and 5 each. Tulane and UConn are 4 and 5 each. So this... This middle pack is kind of beating itself up. Temple, by the way, four and six in the league, but twelve and ten overall. So, um, you know, kind of what we ex- a little bit more than what we expected. The, the sort of the middle of the pack, if, when you take out Cincinnati, the middle of the pack is really kind of beating itself up in the conference. There's a possibility that if UCF does find their stride in this in this next month, we're recording this on February first, so we're four weeks away from March, that. You know, th- there could be there could be the potential for a run maybe to the conference final, I think, which, which will be held at the Amway Center. Right. And, you know, and, and, you know, Dawkins even mentioned in his postgame, you know, I thought they had a really good crowd. I was wondering about the crowd uh, for a nine ten tip off. Yeah. And no uh, which it turned out to and all that. But they got a good crowd. If they can get a good crowd, it'll be interesting now with the quick turnaround, a noon tip on a Saturday uh, that, you know, they can get that crowd support going. And I've told this to some people. Last week, uh, my thing is you got the conference tournament at the Amway Center. Pack mm-hmm. that place. Make that like a de facto home game. That could be the difference with this team making the run like you said. Uh, by the way, the American Conference, seventh RPI conference right now, If you you know, depending on where you look at uh, conference power. Obviously, the Big 12, number one, ACC, two, SEC, three. The Big East is four. Pac-12, five. Big 10, six. Uh, those are the top conferences, uh, the top seven in the college basketball. And I think the Americans pretty close to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 personally. So um, it's a tough league. I, I, but I think, again, I, I think we if, 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 like you said, if UCF can kind of finish strong. We, we went through this a couple of weeks ago when we broke down the schedule. Yeah. We know the games they have to win. And and I but again, it goes back to these next three games. I think these next three games after these three games, Jeff, I know our tone will know what our tone will be. The tone will be is hey, this team could has turned the corner and they could be a threat in the conference tournament and get themselves in the conversation for the NCAA tournament or. Okay, so it's a it's a what if year, and you know it's probably an NIT team. I think we'll know the answer in the next three after the next three games. Well, to to, to recap those last three games as we wrap this up on the men's side, um, they're home noon against Houston on Saturday. They're at Cincinnati on Tuesday at seven p.m. That game's on CBS Sports Network, and oh by the way, that game is not actually at Cincinnati. They're playing at. Cincinnati's uh, or, or at Northern Kentucky's gym because Cincinnati's uh, arena is undergoing renovations this year. But Cincinnati's ranked number eight in the number eight in the uh, in the country right now. Uh, that game is also on CBS Sports Network Tuesday night at seven, and then Sunday at Memphis at four. That's a week from this coming Sunday, February eleventh, 
at FedEx Forum, a place that's been a house of horrors for UCF ever since um, they and Memphis were conference mates in Conference USA. That is also on CBS Sports Network. So ESPNU for the game uh, on Saturday at noon against Houston. Uh, but don't watch the game on television. Go to it at CFE Arena um, on February 3rd. So um, that'll be a huge game for UCF coming up before they come back home. Three huge games coming up. Speaking of games on Saturday, I want to flip over to the women's side because we have the rare doubleheader coming up. Thank you. Saturday. Yes. Yes. Re- yes. Uh, Remember a year ago, Jeff, when I campaigned for this, that I'm a fan of the doubleheader and you were giving me all these reasons why it can't happen because of television and this or that. Here we are. We got a doubleheader. Noon well, and back-to-back. I love it. They made it happen. Noon is the men's game. 2 p.m. is the women's game against on Saturday against Memphis. Um the game is, but here's the thing. I've talked about TV. This game is not scheduled to be televised. You can watch it on um, uh, on uh, UCF, UCF Nights TV dot, on UCF Nights TV, but not on uh, ESPN or C or, or CBS Sports or any of that stuff. But nonetheless, um, the women's team comes in at 15 and seven for this game. So, uh, you know, so watch the men's game. Stay for the women's game. They get, you know, it, this team is actually pretty hot right now. They've won four in a row. Coming off a road sweep, Eric Lopez. Uh, they won at Tulsa, and they won at Cincinnati. So where are we in the standings right now? Well, when you look at the women's basketball things, like you said, <laughs> you just kind of have to cross UConn off at the top. Um, they're 21-0, 9-0 in the league. But UCF right now and USF are tied for second in the league at 7-2. and um, USF 17-5, and UCF is 15-7. and UCF is coming off beating... The uh, number five team in the conference on the road, that would be uh, Cincinnati. And Memphis comes in. Memphis is struggling. They're 7-14, seven, 2-6. Seven Follow that up with um, <clears throat> excuse me, another game uh, at home Wednesday against UConn. So you're kind of start, start, starting to see Coach Abe and this team kind of take shape. And we talked about the injury problems that they've had, especially up front. But we're starting to see this team really take shape heading into that UConn game where they're winning the games that it feels like they're supposed to win. And if you can do that and you're sitting pretty at, you know, third, you know, tied for second in the league, um, as you head down the stretch, you get another shot against USF. This one's at home on uh, February the 18th. Um, you got a couple more road games and then uh, and then one more home game against ECU. Um, that's after the UConn game. So I think that this team is that the women's team is in very very good shape um, heading down the stretch as we head toward March because of how the schedule shakes out with that one more game against USF. Um, they're they're also got road games against Temple after the uh, after the UConn game. They have road, a road game against Temple, home for USF, then at Memphis, at Houston. Um, Houston's the best of those teams that they've got on the road coming up. Um, um, what are we where are we saying? Okay. At Memphis and then, uh, and then, uh, and then Temple, um, Temple's really struggling right now. And Memphis, obviously we talked about their yeah. struggles. So, so things are really shaping up for this to be a, for UCF to be possibly challenged for, um, second place in the league if they can get the split with USF. Well, that's what it's going to come down to, right? I mean, it, it's an interesting year 
in the league because they've had a lot of injuries. In fact, we'll play a, a, a soundbite from Coach Abe about that in a moment. But going back to your original point, yeah, they're, they're, you look at their defense. The game I was at against Tulane where I worked sideline, they held them to 51 points. Mm-hmm. The SMU win, 43 points. Tulsa, 44 points. Cincinnati, they held them to 38 I mean, this team is a defensive team first, and it sounds like yeah. a broken record, but she's basically playing with seven players. They've got their own injuries to talk about. And Number one scoring right. defense in the conference at 54.2 again, giving up. Yeah. UConn is second at 54.6, just to give you an That's idea of what we're talking about. Correct. And so she, she's done a phenomenal job with that. Uh, and that's how they're going to win. They're going to win with defense. And, uh, you know, Saunders keeps making plays for them, running the offense. She's kind of taken over as the, the, the really the, the one that lets kind of lets this offense go. Kaba with a double, her first double-double in the victory against Cincinnati. The freshman, who maybe he's on track to win freshman of the year in the conference. Who knows? Uh, so the, it's very bright. They got to be careful with this Memphis game because that's isn't this is like the perfect overlook look ahead game. You got UConn coming in on Wednesday, next Wednesday, and oh, you got Memphis. They're seven and fourteen. Uh, that they got to be careful with that. I had a chance to listen to Coach Abe. She was on the uh, Night Talk uh, coaches show on uh, Thursday. They do this uh, show weekly show that airs on the radio and lo- locally in Orlando on 94969 The game. Uh, they do it from Burger U, and she talked about how her group, her seniors, have never beaten Memphis. So you could tell she's already working the motivational side of things. Hey, you haven't beaten this Memphis team. There's no reason for you to, to overlook this team at all because you haven't beaten them. So she's very tactical when it comes to that and has really uh, done a phenomenal job with this team at 15-7. and seven. Uh, You know what's remarkable about the Cincinnati win? They did not have a very uh, – their, their flights to Cincinnati, Jeff, did not go as planned. Right. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> let me play. Here, here's the clip. Coach Abe, this is courtesy of Night Talk uh, radio show, talking about the uh, adventurous trip that they had going up to Cincinnati. You want to yep. share your travels to Cincinnati? Do I? Yeah. <laughs> the plane was supposed to leave at like two first, and then when we got delayed to five, then we got delayed to about 11. Yes. We got into Cincinnati what time? 3.30 in the morning. Yep. So the team were troopers. I mean, I, I just said, you know, we could probably leave the next day. And they really wanted to get there. Yeah. And I was like, I, that's going to kill me. 3.30 <laughs> right. in the morning. I don't they're know about you guys. Though, right? they're, yeah. they're young and they don't yeah. go to bed till 1. I go to bed at like 8. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But so they were really, I mean, they were really good. We got to sleep in a little bit. We got up and ate breakfast. Got them moving. Got them going. and went to shoot around. And. You know, I had to wake them up a little bit before the game because that's a that's a long day in front of them. And so, you know, we just went out and everybody stuck together. And uh, KK and Z and Aaliyah and I and Moss just really set the tone to start the game. And I think that was it. And then as, after we set the tone, I mean, they were into the game and, you know, sleep deprived doesn't matter set at that the, point. Set the tone. He gave up 12 first half points. The yep. tone was set for crying yep. out loud. Yep. Right? And important. then by the time you touched down and got back to campus, what time? About 2, 2.30? Yeah, I, I don't even know what day it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Thursday, on the way so, back. Yeah. Yes, on the way back it was a like a smoother flight, but we got home late, so obviously we had the day off, and they got to rest up and sleep up, and then we practiced today. <laughs> All right, there, there, that was Coach Abe with Mark Daniels, obviously the host of Night Talk. But uh, yeah, they didn't get into Cincinnati till like something like one in the morning or something. It was just a wild day, and then they didn't get back to Orlando until uh, really late, as she talked about. So they haven't been much sleep back and forth, but. It doesn't matter. They find ways to win. And now you mentioned it. They're in February. 
In fact, Coach Abe, in this same episode of Night Talk, talks about the conference and where they're positioned right now in the in the league with the RPI, which is 47. Um, here in February, they're right where they need to be. Here's, here's the soundbite with her on the, the radio show Night Talk. The RPI is huge no matter what. It's definitely where we want to be going into February. And our, our team talked about that last year. We got really good in February last year. So now we're already ab- above that, right? So January has been really good for us. And so we got to continue on. Obviously, it puts more pressure on them. And we're going to demand more on them. But, you know, that's where they want to be. I mean, this is Z's senior year. She doesn't. She wants. She has some goals in mind that she wants. It's Aaliyah's senior year. And obviously, KK, you know, wants to do the same. So um, hopefully we'll be ferocious in February. All right, that was Coach Abe with Mark Daniels uh, breaking it down. And, and you mentioned it. You look at the schedules, the remaining, you know, they have that home game with USF. It looms big, yeah, very big. And, and one disadvantage that UCF's got, believe it or not, is they still got to play UConn on Wednesday. Uh, USF also has to play UConn at the end of the year. So they both have... Uh, the good news is they both have UConn basically the same time. So they should cancel each other out in that regard. And actually that helps, that will help UCF's RPI regardless of the result or the margin that will help their RPI. The, the, the concern that I have is this has kind of been because of the injuries that she mentioned in the clip about the conference. And I just checked Charlie cream who, for those that don't know is the Joe Lenardi of uh, women's basketball. He projects, he only has two teams in right now from the uh, from the conference, uh, Connecticut and USF. He doesn't even have UCF as far as one of his first four out or the next four out. Hmm. So that's concerning. And part of I think part of the problem is they don't really have a quality win um, as far as on the resume UCF does right now. That's the thing that's kind of probably going to people will say that that's going to hurt them. They don't have a win against the top 50 RPI, for example. So that that's kind of a, a maybe a, a flaw. You remember that crazy Pacific overtime game they lost yeah. that we watched? Uh, that's unfortunately a bad loss right now because their RPI is like 154, you know, depending right. on the projection. So you mentioned the USF games. Obviously, look, let's be honest. Obviously, if you could beat UConn, I mean, that wipes out. That's a good resume builder, underestimate. <laughs> but let's let's be realistic about it. They may not. Although I will say. If they can somehow play that game competitive, you might get bonus points for that. Because remember last year when Tulane took UConn to the last shot, that really helped them a lot from a PR standpoint. I think it's going to come down to USF, and I think for UCF to make it to the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to beat USF, and they're probably going to have to beat them twice. They're probably going to have to beat them at home here for a shot to be that two seed. And then more specifically, when they get to the American Conference Championship Tournament, they're probably – the way it's looking like you were breaking down the standings, UCF-USF is probably going to be matched up in that 2-3 slot opposite mm-hmm. of the Connecticut bracket. UCF may have to make that championship game against UConn to have a shot to sneak into the NCAA tournament. I think that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to those games. And you mentioned they can't afford a bad loss. And, you know, that's another factor yeah. in this. And, See, that's and, you the, know, that's that the part that scares me a little bit, too, is – you're staring at those three road games, and you're like, okay, well, they're winnable, but they are on the road. Right. I mean, that Temple you're talking about at Memphis and then at Houston. Houston is kind of a team that's been the surprise of the league. They've got a good RPI as well. They're trying to fight to get into that third slot. So, I mean, that's a big game too where yeah, – You talked about the right, RPI you, top 50, by the way. Sorry, but yeah, you talked about yeah. that RPI top 50. Right now, Houston's at 49. 
UCF is at right. 47. So both yep. of those teams are kind of hanging on the cusp. Um, whereas USF, they are 31st in RPI. And UConn, interestingly enough, is actually second in RPI, <laughs> despite being undefeated at 20 and 0. Notre Dame is 20 and 2, and they're number one um, in the RPI, at least for the moment. Yeah, I might, that might change after Connecticut just crushed South Carolina. Uh, over the weekend, yeah. but but you're right. Houston, we have to throw in there in the mix because you know that's a head-to-head matchup, and the winner of that game might have a leg up as far as the resume is concerned. And unfortunately, UCF does not host Houston. That's a one-meeting deal, and that's in Houston. Right, you get one uh, shot at him. So that that that's an extra game that that you know that those are the pivotal games that are going to I think decide a lot of this. Whereas, by the way, USF in comparison will host Houston. So oh, they have an advantage there. So still a lot of work to do. But as Coach Abe mentioned in the clip, I mean, you just got to win games and you win games and the rest of it will take its care of itself. But you're right. I mean, the fact that we're even having this conversation is exciting that they're in the mix RPI wise. And uh, if they can beat to me, if they can win the games they're supposed to or their favorite, quote unquote. And then those that USF game and the Houston game, I'll throw in there. Those will decide where UCF will stand going to the conference tournament. Uh, as far as having a shot, because you're right, I, you got to believe if UCF were to beat USF, let's say, and maybe run the table outside of the yeah. UConn yeah, loss. Let's say, yeah, let's, let's say they win those last five games at Temple, home USF, at Memphis, at Houston, home East Carolina. Let's say they win out, become the two seed, you make it to the final of the American Conference Championship Tournament. Hard to believe that they would be kept out in that scenario, right? I mean, yeah. right in that scenario. Yeah, I agree. If, you know. if they if they do that, if the only game they lose is the UConn game, then they would finish with eight losses, and let's see, six, five, one, two, three, four, five, six. So they would be uh, twenty-one and eight heading into the conference tournament. You win. You know, it, it, obviously, you would get they would, they would get a bye to the quarters. Right. So that would be 1-2 if they get to the final. That would make them 23-8. and eight. With, in theory, another win over USF. And that's right. two quality wins and a quality win if over Houston. USF I think that would be in, in the American. That's, Correct. I mean, now Correct. USF could, could, you know, crap out in the first round for all we know. We don't know. But, um, or, or in the quarters. You never know. But right. in a one-game situation. But you know, the best-case scenario is exactly that. Correct. I think that's the that's kind of your path to get to the NCAA's because the problem is if they lose to USF, if they lose to USF at home and let's say they lose to Houston, they're probably going to be a three seed and they still don't have that marquee win on the resume. And that's going to be a problem work to do in the tournament. You're right. Absolutely. And you don't. <laughs> it's the automatic bid goes to the winner of the conference tournament. You don't want it to come down to that because we all know who's going to probably win that. Let's be honest. So that's not going to be in play. Barring so something crazy happening. <laughs> correct. So you're going to have to, you know, especially since it's the Mohican Sun, home of Connecticut. There, hello. So yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to get in as an at large, which is, this program has never done before, which would be an amazing achievement. Uh, but it's amazing. It's amazing what they're at, and you're right. But it starts with Memphis. We're, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. It starts with Memphis. You can't look ahead. And uh, I'm fascinated. You know, I've had this kind of big uh, – I'll be curious how many people stay after the men's game and sticks around for the women's game. Uh, that obviously is one of the things I will be looking at 
to see what they do because obviously it's no secret they have you know obviously they don't draw very big and things like that it'll be interesting you know it's a nice saturday afternoon i don't i haven't looked at the weather i would assume it's a nice day i hope you know hopefully they get a good crowd for the men's game and maybe some people decide to stick around for a little bit of the women's games which by the with the new rules as you know you've been around it it's been going quick i mean it's usually now an hour and a half hour 40 minutes so that's my intentions on saturday is to stay for both games and um you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do there and how they look against Memphis, but can't overlook that game, and there's certainly no room for error. Yeah. So, again, just to make sure everyone's clear on the schedule. By the way, um, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Zakia Saunders, who's really been just a – Z. Uh, she has been uh, a revelation this year. You know, we talked last year about how Aaliyah Gregory was a revelation, and she just continues to do her thing. Uh, but she's averaging 10.7 a game. Z has taken over the scoring lead for this team. She's averaging 14 a game and 5.7 rebounds, which is uh, uh, good enough for a third on the team in, uh, in rebounds. Uh, so, I mean, really, really impressed with how uh, Z has well, kind of taken the reins it, there. Yeah, and I'll give you this what if quite because you love what ifs. Yeah, that's one of your favorite things is the what if. And I might actually ask that to some of the people within the, the program in the women's basketball in basketball, you have to sit out a year when you transfer, which is what Z had to do. She had to sit out mm-hmm. uh, coming over from Albany. And I, and I remember this because I, I, last year when I did a couple of play-by-play games for the digital network, I went to shoot around. And she was, you know, and coach would rave about her all the time. Imagine, imagine, because they've been talking about this in football, but imagine if women's basketball had the rule like baseball and softball where you could just transfer right away. And right. she would have been eligible last year. Would that have made the difference last year? If she was on this team last year, would they have been, I don't know, maybe an NCAA tournament team when you consider you had Aaliyah Gregory? Wouldn't it? But it would have been something to see, wouldn't it, with her? Yeah. And 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 you would have had three-point shooting. Oh, what if? Crowded house back there, man. Sometimes sometimes it's it's tough. I think she fits fits into exactly what Coach Abe wants to do, which is, um, you, you know, work the basket from 15 feet in and uh you know we see how you know ucf is they just they just don't take three-point shot and they're fine with that uh no i'm gonna be interested again you know this goes back to i think what we were talking about you know i did i did pa for that uconn game last year and it was after that game that this team really found their stride because that game i think was on like new year's day or january 2nd or somewhere around there they basically started the conference season with uconn um I'm really going to be see, interested to see how UCF treats this game this year with Connecticut. Um, the whole idea, you could see Coach Abe kind of executing the game plan last year, which was, you know, we're going to run that shot clock down. I don't care how many points we're down to UConn. We are going to run that shot clock down and control the pace of the game, or at least do everything we can to control the pace of the game. Will we be? Will UCF be able to do the same thing this year? I don't know because it's still it's still UConn, you know. But you catch them on the right night; it might work. I plan on being there. Believe it or not, I've never actually seen UConn in person, uh, so I intend to be there. That's an interesting it's day impressive. too. Because I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, are you coming? Are you suggesting? I, are you going to join me? I, mean, maybe. I don't know right now. I don't. Ah. Know. But uh, it's interesting because that's the day of National Signing Day, and I know that UCF's got their big football celebration, whatever they want to call it for signing day. 
at the venue at five o'clock. So I'll be interested how many I don't know how many people show up to that. But uh, how many of those people that show up to the National Signing Day, if they stick around for the women's hoops game for UConn, obviously that'll be their biggest crowd of the year. There'll be a lot of UConn fans in the stands for what I could tell in the past. And you could confirm that having called the PA game, well, UConn game, there's going to be a lot of UConn fans. Oh, boy. There's so, a lot of UConn fans. Right. Game last so, uh, so I'm interested to see them in person. Uh, we know that the last time they played, UCF gave UConn some fits defensively. Uh, they held them to the lowest point total in the first half and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, you think this is still a, a game that draws the casual fan. Do you believe you, you still believe that? I Because I'm on the fence on that. I, I've talked to different people about this. Would you go see UConn? And I've gotten people are kind of divided on it. I've seen some people that are like, yeah, if I'm going to go to a UCF women's hoops game, this would be the game I would go. But then I've heard others that say, no, I don't want to go there. That's going to be a blowout. Why do I want to see a game that ends by a 40-point margin? And I think that's one of the issues that the sport in general has right now is that your biggest draw, quote-unquote, or at least the marquee team, people are on the fence whether to see them or not because they don't think that they're going to see a competitive game. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the reason why that is is because UCF so far in the Coach Abe era hasn't proven to the casual fan that they are competitive with UConn. I think that if, like, let's say UCF loses the game but by, like, eight points, right? It's a competitive game. Maybe it doesn't come down to the wire, but... But they hang with him, and, and, and folks see that score. Like, wow, okay, this UCF women's basketball team is pretty good this year, you know. So then I think you'll start to see a lot more. Um, that's an unfair confusing. expectation. I mean, that's an un- I mean, nobody does it's, that against UConn. I mean, that's a very, <laughs> very once, I, in, a, once right. in a while. I, I get it, but that's the situation that they're up against, right? Because UConn is head and shoulders above everybody else in the sport and has been for so long. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the red army hockey team, you know, before the fall of the Soviet union, where like everyone knew that everyone who was on the ice was a professional. It's just that they couldn't play in the NHL and they clobbered everyone. And the only thing that, that, you know, like once in a while, like right, the miracle on ice guys would get them. Right. But if you look at the balance of everything else, they just, dominated the sport for so long and then you know when that went away you know olympic hockey like the 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 world got flat and then that's when you needed to that's when the olympics you know made their pitch to the nhl to let the nhl guys play in the olympics because it was less interest it it was it, it it's actually became a little bit less interesting in a way so yeah. that's the draw that UConn has right now is that if you play if you compete well against them that's when people start to sit up and take notice of your program. That um, sounds to me though like that's not a UCF issue. That sounds to me like that's a women's basketball issue that's right true. there. I don't think you, yeah, but I, I don't I think that's all that's that. across the board. Sure. Yeah. And I you know, you know, it's interesting. I it's an interesting dynamic. It's very rare cuz usually you know, in every other sport, there's that marquee team. People are going to go see them. You know, the Warriors, right? People are mm-hmm. going to go see the Warriors, even though maybe your team doesn't have a chance. But you never have that belief like, oh, they're going to smoke us by 40. Uh, NFL, obviously, the New England Patriots are probably the draw, right? You're not, you're not thinking they're going to blow you out by 30 when you're going in. You're thinking, yeah, we might have a shot, but I want to see that team play. I want to see greatness. Yeah, but we, yeah, not- we've, seen a little, we've seen a little bit of the opposite of those, especially this year, right? 
like there's there's like that Patriots backlash. Like, oh God, they're in it again. Come on, man. Well, I mean, that's just you know, I'm sure. I mean, there's some envy of it, but here's the thing. I mean, people still watch. People still going to go. I don't. Oh sure. I, I I do wonder. UConn is just very interesting in that they're really the only draw in the sport of women's basketball, right? There's not even like it used to be when Pat Summit was, you know, obviously uh, uh, with Tennessee, they were a huge draw and they're still very good post summit, but they're not the draw that they once were. It's very interesting sport. Uh, uh, It's, it's, it's a, a tough dynamic to sell. And look, let's not pretend that UCF women's basketball has never won before. They've had success. They've had success back when you were calling games under Coach Striegler. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had success under Joy Williams. They made the NCAA a couple times, and it never really caught on. Um, you know, will it change this time around? I don't know. Uh, I think it's always tough uh, with women's basketball because, A, they're always going to be compared to men's basketball. They're always playing in the same arena as men's basketball. I've always said, and I for example, I think one of the things that helps, for example, women's volleyball separate from men's volleyball is the net's lower. So the women's game, you don't, you know, it's still an exciting game. They're not, they're not playing by the rules that the men do. Women's softball, which obviously I've been a part of for a decade, is a completely different sport than baseball. They play different uh, dimensions, different field. It's a different style of game. Whereas women's basketball, they're still playing by the same size of the rim. I know there's some people have suggested lowering the rims. And they're playing in these big arenas, 10,000, which in a lot of places you're probably not going to be able to draw that big of a number, maybe 1,000, 2,000. So the atmosphere is not as good, whereas maybe if they would be playing at the venue, you would have a better atmosphere. But again, if you're a women's basketball coach, you're like, well, why do we want to be play? You know, we want to play where the men play. You know, we don't want to be, you know, kind of be second fiddle. So it's an interesting dynamic within the sport and um uh, it's a constant conversation that keeps going. I don't know what the answer is necessarily. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think that's some of the, I think, issues that women's basketball has because I think people, the majority of the basketball fans in these colleges, like at UCF, are going to commit to men's basketball and they're not going to come back the next night to go see women's basketball. That's just, I think, what history has told us. I, I've said this before. I've told you this before. I would be really, it's, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I, believe me, I, I, completely 150% understand the reasons why. But I would be interested to see what the environment for UCF women's basketball would be like if they played in the venue. Right. You know, I, I, in, a, in a tight gym, I, there are a couple programs that do this, right? Like they play in the, I think North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, um, the women's team plays in the old, um, in, in the old gym. That they that they had that Carolina played in um, before they opened up the Dean Dome, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? I'll have to double check. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I what I will say while you look that up is I know that I know at the very least they used to. Right. From a coach's standpoint, though, I mean, I'm sure. Like for example, I'm sure Coach Abe uses the CFE Arena as a recruiting tool. So, you know, there's a side positive side. You know, that's why they probably most coaches in the sport wouldn't want would not do something like that because they want to say, hey, look, we play here in this big arena. Look how beautiful it is. And you could, you know, and get recruits there. So there's pluses and minuses for it um, from the standpoint of it. Um, So it's going to be interesting. I'll be interested. Like I said, it's going to I'll be curious. One of the things I'm looking forward to seeing on Saturdays, how many people will stick around after the men's game? Uh, and then the second part, obviously, what they'll draw for UConn and, and then moving forward from that. I mean, that's 
it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, it'll be very interesting. And in particular, that USF game on February 18th, because I really do. That's looming like a huge game. Maybe the biggest women's home game they've had there in a long time. And I don't count. I don't really. I know you're going to say, well, what about UConn? It's, that's a big game. But that's kind of a, a special attraction game. The USF game, I think, will have a bigger, a big impact uh, on where their future is as far as postseason aspirations are more than likely. Yeah. By the way, um, to clarify, yes, the U- the University okay. of North Carolina Tar Heels women's team plays at Carmichael Arena, the former Carmichael Auditorium, which was uh, where the men's team played until the Dean Smith Center opened up in 1986. The women's team still plays at Carmichael. The men's team has been playing it at the Dean Dome for uh, some, wow, some 32 years now already. So, um, All right, so I wanted to get through that. Again, just to recap the schedule for UCF um, women's basketball, they have uh, obviously we know about the game at UConn, the game coming up against UConn, um, but Memphis game right after the men's game on Saturday, so it's a doubleheader noon and hopefully around two, but after the conclusion of the men's game, uh, the women's <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. What are the odds? They might start a few minutes later. They might start a few minutes later. Um, and then Wednesday, February 7th, at home against UConn. Uh, so be there for that one. That's on ESPN3, by the way, scheduled to be uh, televised. All right, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk a little women's tennis. Eric Lopez talking to Brian Canico, head coach of uh, UCF women's tennis, um, off to a good start to their season. And then we will dive in with a little uh, football talk. We'll talk about the Senior Bowl uh, we'll talk about the Combine, UCF players uh, getting their chance to show off their wares to the NFL scouts, and we will also talk some Super Bowl as well. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! 
Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Uh, don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, uh, and Black and Gold Banneret.com as well, where you can get uh, basically keep yourself updated on as many UCF sports as we can possibly handle, including tennis. Um, Elo, you are such a huge tennis fan. You're one of the few people I know who, by choice, stay up to watch the Australian Open. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, you had the opportunity this week to catch up with Brian Canico, the uh, women's tennis um, head coach. And they're off to a pretty good start, aren't they? They are. This is an exclusive interview with Brian. You know, he's in his second year at UCF. And, boy, they got things started in a big way in his second year with a win over number 15-ranked South Carolina. Uh, big, big win for that program in their home opener. Uh, two and one early in the season. But I had a chance to catch up with him earlier and really hit up on many topics. It's a unique situation. He's in his second year with a roster that's really young. I mean, the majority of the roster hadn't played a college tennis match until the season just started right now. They actually have more freshmen than they do upperclassmen. So it's basically a reboot. And I talked to Coach about that, taking over this program and working under John Roddick, who, of course, is the men's tennis coach, but also the director of tennis, which means Brian answers to John Roddick when it comes to tennis. We touch on that and many more topics. Here's my interview with Brian Canico here on the Black and Go Banneret. Well, Coach, uh, welcome to here the, the program, and uh, let's talk about your team here in 2018. It's early in the season, but you've already tested yourself. You knocked off number 15 South Carolina. You were in a nail-biter against Alabama. Just kind of how do you feel about your team here so far early in the season? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so far so good and really proud, obviously, of what they've been able to accomplish. Um, been been a lot from came from a long way from a year ago so um you know we uh we knew uh it was exciting we opened up our season with south carolina who's always been a top program and we knew for a long time that's going to be our first match so we had a lot of time to prepare and get them mentally ready for for a war which is which is what is exactly what it was um but you know you never really you never really know what you're going to get from uh you know four players that we had out of the six have never played a college tennis match in their in their career so you never really know what you're going to get but um they showed up they fought and that's all we can ask for you mentioned that i looked at your roster you're you, you mentioned it you've got really only more players that haven't played one match coming into this season in college tennis than actual upperclassmen it's kind of wild it's like a new a brand new team just tell me about kind of how you got to this point almost like a reboot if you will with all these new faces yeah it, that's kind of exactly what it was you know and uh you know, but it, it couldn't have been done with uh, with the previous players in the upperclassmen that we've had. You know, I mean, from day one, uh, you know, we were only going to achieve success today if we uh, if the upperclassmen that we had currently on our team bought into what we were trying to do and um, the vision that we had for this program, which was obviously to be one of the elite teams in the country. And um, our upperclassmen, when we first came in, completely bought in. They wanted to do it. And, uh, you know, they stayed, they, they stayed in the summers, they worked hard, the fall they worked hard, and, uh, and then you trickle in a few new players that can kind of walk in and walk right into the system and, and, and work hard, and, you know, good things can happen. Tell us a little bit about you know, some of the players on your roster and, and what fans could expect if they go out to Lake Nona to watch them play in person or follow you uh, through, uh, obviously, on, on UCFNights.com. Just talk about some of the players and what they bring to the table. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I've starts with our seniors, um, Monica Matias from Puerto Rico and Amelia Grantram from, from Sweden. Starts with them. They're the ones that uh, we met in day one um, coming into this program and said that we're going to need it uh, from the top to to uh, start an elite program, which is obviously what we're trying to do here. And uh, they bought in, and, and right away, um, you know, it's just nice when we recruits come to campus, when freshmen come walking onto our campus. They they know, they help them expect, um, you know, what what type of work they're going to have to put in, and and uh, makes it harder, for, it makes it easier for us to to coach. You know, so it starts with them. Natalia Serrano is our junior from Spain, who's made a huge jump in in her tennis level. And uh, it's only getting better. She's an absolute workhorse, so we'd love to have her. And then, and then we have our four new girls, um, Rebecca Stolmar from Hungary, um, Maria Martinez, Silvia Bordas, and Senya Kuznetsova, all three from Spain there. So um, very international team, um, you know, have a couple seniors, but for the most part, very young. So we, we're doing a lot of learning every day. For those that may not be aware, familiar with college tennis, just to describe how do you put a team together? Because on the one, you know, they got some individual matchups and they're going for individual accomplishments, but there's also a team concept to this. So just explain how you, when you put this group and you recruit them, uh, how, what kind of goes into it? Well, obviously, I think the number the number one thing uh, that we look at is, you know, we, we try to get a good idea of their character and their, and their family and uh, what their family values are, because that's number one, I think, in my experience, is the hardest thing to change is someone's character and work ethic. So as long as, as that is there, um, we believe that the sky is the limit for them at UCF and um, we know that they can improve. So that's kind of number one, obviously, that we look for. And then, yeah, like you said, tennis, college tennis, it's, well, tennis in general is a very individual sport. And uh, all of a sudden, we have six really good players, and it's my job to put them in a lineup from one to six, which is probably the hardest part about my job, the job that I probably um, least like, uh, because I have to put them in order where, you know, I think on any given day, all six are just as good as each other. Uh, but you know that's a team part, and and we talk we talk a lot about that about all six spots that equal one point, and we got to get to four as a team to to win a college tennis match. So everyone's got a, a job every night on the line, and it's to take care of their spot. And you know, like I said, uh, they luckily they've bought in and and they understand that, so they play hard for each other. This is your second season. Uh, what uh, what made you come to UCF here last year when you took over the pro? What what kind of drew you to come here? Um. Probably my, my initial conversations with Coach Roddick. Um, when uh, Coach Roddick called me, um, obviously a lot of respect for what he's done at Oklahoma and uh, just for him to make a move out of a program that he's already established and, and had it at the top and for him to make a move to a UCF where uh, you know it was going to be a rebuild from both our parts. Um, Kind of, you know, kind of made me understand, like, you know, wow, one of the our titans in this industry um, wants to do this and has a belief to do it. So once we started to talk and uh, just our visions for this place and what it could really be, um, it was really exciting just to to kind of do that, you know. And before I was at Brown University, which I uh, gained my first head coaching experience there, which was amazing. Um, but then just to take what I learned there and to try to turn it into a program here where we can be one of the best teams in the country that was both you know coach Roddick's and I goal so 
Did you know Coach Roddick prior to – because for those that don't know, he's also the director of tennis as well as the men's tennis coach, so it's unique. You're basically kind of working for him to some extent. How Kind of talk about that dynamic. Did you know him prior when he reached out to you and then the dynamic of kind of working with him? Uh, I didn't know John uh, that well, but I but I knew um, I knew of him. We've met very briefly a couple of times, but obviously uh, I knew a lot of people that knew him and said had great things to say. And you know, um, John's been great in terms of obviously he's my boss, and but he uh, does a great job to let let me um, make decisions in recruiting, make me make let lets me make decisions in our practice and game plan and. Um, you know, I think we we both have a great trust for each other, and and any time that I need to, you know, if I have questions or need to lean on him, he's so knowledgeable about, you know, not only the game of tennis itself, um, you know, with him coaching his his brother and many other uh, great players, not only tennis himself, but just the recruiting aspect, um, the NCA, um, you know, what it's like to be in big moments and matches. Um, he's I'm able to lean on him in that, and that's probably the most helpful for me. And one of the, when I've talked to Coach Roddick in the past, when he arrived here, he said one of the big selling points was that new, beautiful tennis campus where you call home, that USTA Center in Lake Nona. Mm-hmm. You've been there now, uh, played a year in a match there. Of course, the, the conference championship was held there last year. Uh, there's going to be an NCAA championship will be held there in a couple years. Uh, there's been speculation maybe the, that the professional WTA or the ATP mm-hmm. might come there. You've been around it. How big of an impact has that facility made to you now in your short period of time when you go out and recruit? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, we have players from all over the world visiting our university in the last year, and uh, you know, just the look on their face when they first walk into this facility—it's nothing like they've seen before. You know, um, there are some, you know, there's some amazing facilities in the world, but I think this is—you know—you can count it on one hand as obviously the top three, top five in the world. So. Um, you know, it's great. It's it's awesome for us to, you know, for example, bringing in girls from Spain or Hungary or Sweden, you know, some of these smaller countries where they, you know, their federation might have, you know, six to eight courts and, you know, and then you come here and you have a hundred plus courts, you know, to look at and to practice on. And it's, it's a different world. So it's obviously, um, it helps us from the bat, um, obviously to get recruits into the door, but then it's another thing to show them that we really care about development and, uh, you know, we want to put them in the in the best possible position to uh, to make some money playing this sport one day because that's that's the goal. What's uh, what do you remember when you first walked into that facility and your impression of that facility? And for those that haven't had a chance to visit it yet, well, how do you would describe it? It has everything. I mean it it has everything. I mean you have you have a unbelievable twelve court college tennis facility, uh, which obviously we have here. Um, and then they have the the player development side, which which the top Americans in the in the country practice here every day. Um, they have probably sixty plus courts for just tennis fans and tennis players in general that they can book courts at any time. So it really helps um, you know us get some fans out to matches too, which is great. And uh, you know now it's also the home of college match day, which is kind of a little. Um, a little thing that they started last year where they're trying to do it like football where they have the, you know, the college game days and um, they choose some schools from around the country to come and play here at our facility. And they, and they televise it on ESPN and, and the tennis channel. So just, it's like, if, if you're looking for tennis, they have anything you can ask for here, which is awesome.
and they stream a lot of your ma- the matches, including yours. And I've noticed an uptick in the coverage of college tennis, both men and women. I see more and more matches being televised, whether it be ESPN3 or, uh, or even uh, affiliates there. Uh, do you get a sense of that, that the college game now is starting to pick up more uh, attention now and you know, with more players interested in the sport and, and more success? They're going professionally, either men or women. You see more and more players that go to college now and then go to the pros and have success, whereas before the it thing to do was kind of to skip college and go and people said okay that's the only way you could be successful but that's not the case anymore yep i think i i think it's a i think it's a direct correlation with um with kind of technology and how how you're able to to maintain success as an athlete longer i mean not only in tennis but you look at all these sports i mean you look at lebron james and what he does at his age and you look at roger Federer, who just won his 20th grand slam at 36 or 37 years old, you know, where if you look back at it, maybe 15, 20 years ago, if you were 30 years old in tennis, you were, you were done. That was your last year probably, you know, and now you see Federer is the best player in the world still at 36. You see Serena in her thirties as the best player in the world. So it, it uh, allows um, recruits to understand that they don't have to force themselves to go on the tour at 18, you know, at 17, 18 years old, they can come to college, they can develop for three, four years, take their time, get an education, and then get their bodies ready for the pro tour because now the game is is getting physical um, way more than it was 15, 20 years ago, and players need that 18 to 22-year um, year old gap to get stronger, not only physically but mentally too, to have a chance to make it. Um, and that's why I think college tennis is getting stronger and more more uh, more attention. You know, you see uh, a guy, Kevin Anderson, who just made the finals of the U.S. Open this past U.S. Open, played college tennis. So um, you start to see recruits understand that and see coaches' vision, um, and I think that they're just making our game stronger. What got you interested in going into co- coaching college tennis? Uh, you know, I think uh, my, my college coach at Ohio State, Ty Tucker, he's still there. Um, he was probably the reason I went into it. You know, he was uh, he was very passionate in what he did, and uh, even though it was tough sometimes, he um, you know not only changes as, te- as tennis players, but changes as individuals, as people. And uh, obviously, it was something that I wanted to to give back and give to you know uh, other kids and student athletes coming into UCF or wherever. So he was probably a really big impact on on me continuing this career. Right now, as you're, you're starting the second season, it's early. Do you, where, where do you feel right now you're at? Do you feel you're ahead of where you thought you would be when you first took over this program? Or are you where you thought you would be at this point? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, I think we're probably a little bit ahead, uh, ahead of where, where I thought I'd be. Um, but at the same time, we have, we have really good players who are working hard. So, you know, we expect to win everything that we play at the same time. Um, but at the same time, we have to understand. You know, I have to understand that we have a young team, and uh, the most important thing is just to keep learning and developing. Uh, you know, because sometimes when you have a group of juniors and seniors, your job is just to stand stand out of the way and try not to mess it up. You know, and and now since we have a a lot of young ones, um, our job as coaches is to keep trying to teach them and and give them as much information as they can in the next couple of years. That way, when they're juniors and seniors, that they know it all and then just about staying healthy and, and being ready to compete. Um, but the direction that we're going in is, is definitely 
is definitely in a positive and uh, can't be happier with how the team is handling it all. Tell us a little bit about the schedule moving forward. Obviously, you got some tough competition. And, of course, you know, you kind of want to peak by the time you get to the American Conference Championship. Uh, kind of tell us a little bit about that moving forward. Yeah, um, you know, unbelievable schedule this this year. So we're lucky to play some great schools. Um, this this weekend, this Sunday, we have a doubleheader against Troy and North Florida at home. Um, so hopefully we can uh, do well and take care of business on Sunday. Um, and then for the month of February, we take a couple trips to Texas. So we play, uh, we'll play Baylor, TCU, SMU, and Texas A&M. So all four matches will be a really good test for us. Um, Going to be the first road road trip for again four of our six players on the team so that's going to be a new experience for them that we're going to have to try to get them ready for um but yes scheduling in college tennis is very important because you want to give your best chance to your team to get some good wins and make the ncaa tournament so hopefully uh we're doing what we need to do do with the facilities you have is that made it easier to schedule because do you find yourself now that the people are coming to you say hey we'll, we're willing to play you and we're willing to come there because we just want to play in that facility yeah i think everyone likes to see disney yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think uh yeah you know it's obviously for for a lot of the northern northern schools um they want to come down they want to um, get used to playing outdoor tennis because, of course, the NCAA tournament in May is played outdoors. So a lot of those schools from the north that are who maybe are not able to play outdoor tennis that much in January and February um, and even March uh, will come down for their spring breaks and try to get a few days of outdoor tennis in um, to get ready for May. So in that sense, it helps our schedule. Obviously, our facility, too. Like I told you, we're, we're doing the uh, college match day. This year we're doing it against Michigan. Um, so that obviously attracts them to come down and get national exposure um, for their program to be put on ESPN or the Tennis Channel. So um, in that sense, it helps, absolutely. And it, obviously it's great for our schedule. With such a young roster, with, uh, do you even set goals for this team? Or is this one of those things with because of a young roster that you really just take it day by day because you want to kind of you don't want to really limit expectations. You don't know what the what they're capable of doing because they're so young. It, 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 what's kind of the approach on that? Because I know some coaches like to put goals in, but some might say, no, you know, I, I might want to just kind of see how they react on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, that's that actually was a little bit of the difficult part in the in the beginning of our season when we met about it as a staff to kind of you know what what do we want to accomplish as a team and uh we don't i don't really like to talk about trying to you know put a goal to win a conference championship or put a goal to um make the ncaa tournament i think if we we set a goal um you know with the team to be able to give everything they have um every single match and i think if we do that i think we'll be really really hard to beat um, and it and it proved against South Carolina. We obviously lost a tough one, four um, three to Alabama. Um, but I I believe that we have the players that if they show up and um, they play smart, take care of their bodies the right way, do everything off the court what they need to do, um, and they're ready to go that day. I think we're going to be we're going to you know reach our goals as a team and and further. But like you said, I think it's more of a day to day, match to match, focus on what you have to do, and instead of looking towards the future. 
Well, Coach, uh, we're certainly looking forward to checking your team out. As you mentioned, you got Troy and uh, UNF coming up on Sunday, mm-hmm. February 4th at home. Go to UCFKnights.com for all the latest. You can check them out. I would go to and recommend going to Lake Nona. Go out to that place. Check out some great tennis and check out that venue. It's one of the best uh, for the sport. Uh, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a busy time, busy schedule, but uh, congrats on the success early with that great win over South Carolina and uh, excited to have you on board here at UCF. Hope to uh, do this down the road yeah absolutely it was a pleasure thanks for your time and thanks again to head coach brian Kernico in his second year great story talks about how he got into college tennis coaching and and the sport and it's kind of how it's grown but what a fascinating story jeff I mean, you know it's funny you know we've had all these different new coaches coming to ucf and, and and all that and i feel like obviously brian uh is kind of the one that's kind of forgotten, right? He's under the radar because even when we talked about the changes at tennis, John Roddick's the first name that comes up, and rightfully so, leading the men's tennis turn- uh, team to the NCAAs last year, and he's the director of tennis. But John Roddick's responsibility, he hired Brian. And we and we went yeah. into that interview talking about that how that process went. Brian went in to talk about you know, getting that phone call from John Roddick. But it's fascinating, uh, Jeff, that, you know, he admits, yeah, this is kind of a reboot for the program. And they got a lot of young players and, you know, they're, they're building it day by day because, you know, it's experience. But it's just, you know, it, it's kind of wild that here they are. We're talking about a program that just knocked off recently a top 15 team in the country. Um, and you covered the tennis program actually a lot longer than I have because you were back in your day working at UCF. You would shoot a lot at the tennis courts and. Uh, let's be uh, to be nice about it. I mean, the tennis programs during that time was kind of not. There was no expectations, right? Yeah, there was no middling, you know, and there wasn't. You know, there, there, yeah. I mean, you're right. There, it, there was the the hope was that they would compete. There wasn't an expectation that they would compete. Yeah, and here we are. Yeah, uh, and I and boy, what a, again credit to John. You know, we talked about his tremendous success as a coach at Oklahoma and coming to UCF, the success he had already last year, getting the men's program into the NCAA. Uh, but it looks like he's got a good one with Brian. I really was impressed, and I know it's early in the season, but that, you know, this a win like that against a top fifteen team in the country can kind of who knows can give this team the confidence that they can do things maybe they didn't think they could do this quickly. Uh, from a program, but it's kind of fun. And of course, he talked. We talked about the USTA Center at Lake Nona, which is a huge, I mean, facility, a recruiting tool. Uh, it's phenomenal, and and it's. Uh, you're right. I'm a huge tennis fan uh, from a pro game standpoint. Uh, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see UCF tennis. You know, that's the one thing I've enjoyed with Danny White, of all the things, obviously, is. He took this tennis programs and said, no, we can win here, too. We could be a top 25 program. And he brought in one of the top coaches in the sport to run tennis in John Roddick. They've got this built, this facility at the USTA Center, which everybody that's a tennis fan has just kind of, glow, you know, just marvels at. Uh, it's just exciting. I mean, it's exciting. It's uh it's unique. I, I intend on going out there. We need to go out there. I know we've said this, and, and I was brought, and it's funny. I was brought up uh, off the air. I was asked again, <laughs> Jeff, about this. I this know. is the most popular. You asked earlier about asking questions. This is the common question, and it's um, it's exciting. I, I'm excited for them, and uh, you know that we'll see what they do here moving forward. But just a lot of excitement, and keep this in mind, folks. The way the sport is going, we talk, and you heard my part of it in the interview with Brian is. 
if you look at tennis in the professional ranks right now, it used to be that you would just skip college and go right to the pros and be, you know, your peak was at 18 to 24. Well, as we've seen with Roger Federer, who won the Australian Open, and Rafael Nadal, and even with other players now, it, it's become an older game because of the technology helps the older guys. And you're seeing more and more success on the men's and the women's side, players that go to college and then go to pros and have success. So uh, I, I really believe this, Jeff, and I, I made this claim a year ago. I think the te- men's tennis program is going to win a national title along with Coach Roddick on board. I mean, I think these two programs are going to be NCAA tournament programs, and I would not be surprised if we start seeing players come out of UCF and have success at the pro level. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I, I, I think back to actually to a guy that I covered, um, John Isner. Yep. Uh, at the University of Georgia. Played four years at the University of Georgia. Um, and I watched him play for two, and he was an utterly dominant college tennis player. Um, it was shocking whenever he lost because he was just in charge. He, he was when he was out there, he was in charge. Um, he played for four years at Georgia, was completely dominant, and then uh, went into the pros. And we were like, okay, well, this will be interesting. And he right out of the gate at the professional level was um was uh uh not dominant but he certainly could compete and that was at a time when i think federer and nadal were really at their peaks um isner has kind of like progressed a little bit not quite to that level i think he still has yet to win a major but uh, that's correct but he is but he is one of those guys who's sort of like right now one of america's hopes in tennis and actually he's becoming a pretty becoming one of the rusty old veterans out there. So, But he was the first one that I remember that was like, okay, American college tennis player really seasoned himself in college and is a, and instead of dealing with the problems of developing as a professional when you're you know as young as you know, in tennis, you know how it is, 15, 16, 17 years old, he had some time to sort of grow into his body. He was 6'8", and, and, he, um, and he was ready for the pros when he got out of college. Yeah, no, and he's had a good career. Hasn't reached the final. Um, you know, he's limited in certain aspects of his game, but he's been a top twenty player throughout his career. He's made a good living for himself. You know, probably at the wrong time. He probably his probably biggest problem is he came at the wrong time yeah. in the era. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, him and you know, him and about one hundred and fifty other guys. Right, but but I mean, Steve Johnson is another player who had success at USC. Uh, and, and other players that have more and more players are being developed in the sport. College tennis is actually getting more coverage. Uh, their, their, their national championship, for example, last year was at a place you know very well, uh, Georgia and Athens in that stadium. Uh, that's very famous in college tennis. Uh, you Dan would know McGill better. Tennis having, complex, yeah. Yeah, and like Patrick McEnroe was there calling the action, for example. And this year it'll be at Winston-Salem, and in the future it's going to be here at Lake Nona uh, for UCF. So, um the game's growing. In fact, if you go to UCFnights.com, if you go to men's tennis or women's tennis, they actually have watch links because the USTA Center, like Nona, they actually stream a lot of t- tennis that's being played over there and UCF matches being won. And so you could actually watch tennis matches now, which was unheard of when you mm-hmm. you know, when you were there. So uh, I- I'm excited for these two guys, the program. It's it's and I talked to Brian even off the air. Now, you know, it's a tough sport to cover because they're not on campus. So it's not as easy as, hey, just go on campus and watch them. But 
the sport's fantastic, and uh, a credit to everybody all involved in this. I mean, the UCF tennis, uh, to me, has raised a level. I think now it used to be UCF was not even mentioned when it came to college tennis, and now they're a player. They're a player in the sport and, and because of the facilities they have. As Brian mentioned, teams want to come to play them now because they want to play in that facility. Um, and because of the success they're starting to have on the court. John Roddick, obviously, last year with UCF, he had a great class coming into this year. And I think Brian, uh, certainly, off to, if that win was, a, I think, a signature win, right? We always talk about that with other sports and coaches getting signature wins. Don't you? I feel like that South Carolina win on the 19th was like a signature win for Brian and this women's tennis program, kind of a message of, Hey, we're here too. We know men's tennis got all the you know the attention and rightfully so last year, but we can compete too. And I thought that was the message. Yeah. And look, they, they had a nail biter against Alabama. Uh, that one could have gone either way. They lost that match four to three. So, uh, you know, they got a tough schedule ahead, but man, I, I think we, we, uh, Watch out for this women's tennis program. And I think they got a good one with Brian, who was, and it sounds to me like in talking to him that him and John are on the same page and I think have similar philosophies. So um, credit to everybody for making this happen because I'll be honest, I didn't think this would ever, this day would ever come, to be honest with you. I never thought this would, I always felt that tennis would kind of be on the back door uh, as far as success for UCF, but I obviously have changed my tune. Brian, by the way, one of the great tennis players in Ohio State history, by the way. Two-time Big Ten Conference Player of the Year and uh, uh, has brought that success um, in, his, uh, in his coaching stop. So just a couple of reminders here. Um, this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, um, UCF women's tennis has a doubleheader against Troy and uh, UNF uh, before they go on the road and then they're back home. They're not back home again until March the 3rd. Uh, so if you want to if you want to boycott the Super Bowl, <laughs> you can go to tennis. I did that one year actually. I went to UCF tennis one year when there was a Super Bowl. What, what, uh, what caused you to boycott the Super Bowl that year, Eric Lopez? I, I think it's because the Patriots were in it actually. <laughs> well, then there are a bunch of Super Bowls that you probably should have boycotted. Um, uh, good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, the uh, men's tennis uh, they play. Uh, by the way, we just want to catch you up on them. By the way, they are. Uh, off to a one and two start, they actually split out west in LA against Utah State and UC Davis. They beat UC Davis four one, uh, lost to Utah State four to two. They're at Auburn Sunday, February fourth. They come back home Wednesday, February seventh against uh, UNF, and then they have almost a month off until their next match, which is also at home against Michigan, March the third. So we're hoping to catch up. Which with- is a uh- which is by the way a college match day, which has become yes. like a big theme thing going on over there. Where they uh, they play these Across big match that, yeah. dates. That's at uh, at the USTA national campus. They invite a bunch of you know high highfalutin schools down there to uh, mm. to play uh, to play all on, that weekend or that day at that uh, facility college match day. Uh, they will have. I'm actually trying to get the get the roster of teams here. They, oh, they, I just know this. Like I know this. Huge, uh, it's like a big huge festival. They have things for the kids to come down there and. Yeah. Everything okay? Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma, Texas A and M, Florida, Texas, UCF against USF men. Um, so it's a whole it's a whole big like you know tennis tennis palooza down there that week. So that's going to be fun. That's not a bad date to circle in case we decide to go out there. You know, you yeah, and I got to go out there. And there's a young kid I'm friends with that is a student at UCF. A kid's named Patrick. He does a lot of behind the scenes work. Does some of their student broadcast at UCF. And him and I have talked. 
he's a big tennis fan like I am. We've talked, we exchange, you know, we talked Australian Open, you name it. So we've talked about going there as well. So that could be a possible possibility of making our, our we because we, we definitely have to do that. We're going to have to uh, hit that place up. That's like a destination place. It gets tricky for me when softball season gets going, but we need to do that. We got to do that. I don't know how we're going to do it. We got to get Connor out there because I'm convinced you named him Connor short for Jimmy Connors. I'm, that's my story, and I'm sticking oh, to it. No, 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 no. <laughs> although, although my my mother's uh, maiden name is Connors, but we are, as far as I know, are not related to Jimmy Connors. But um, okay. But nonetheless, I think that'll be fun. So, all right, there's your update on tennis. We're hoping to get uh, Coach John Roddick soon as well. So stick around. Stay tuned with our feed uh, for that. Real quick, let's dive into football real quick. Uh, a very successful Senior Bowl week for uh, UCF players. Shaquem Griffin named the Practice Player of the Week at the Senior Bowl. Um, if if you're a real draftnik or you have no better thing to do with your time, if you watch the Senior Bowl practices, um, he was all over the place. Uh, so it's no wonder, and he really like you know t- kind of took over. He he was the he was the man of the week uh, down there uh, in uh, in uh, Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, as far as the game itself, um, pulling up some of the stats, um, Traquan Smith actually had the first touchdown of the game, fourteen yard pass from um, Mike White in the first quarter for the South, um, and then the route was pretty much on. Uh, from there. So Traquan in that game, uh, five catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Very nice job uh, by him. And then um, we talked about Shaquem um, pulling up the defensive stats here. Where did, where did, he, where did he end up here? Um, had him a hot second ago. Uh, let's see. Oh. Uh, Shaquem finished with uh, a solo tackle, three assists, so four total tackles in that game. Also, um, Jordan Akins, who also played on the uh, South team, had two catches for 31 yards, including a 19-yarder at the Senior Bowl. So uh, UCF players showing up, get, showing up pretty well in this, and uh, dovetailing right into that, um, four UCF players getting invited to the NFL Scouting Combine, including the three from the Senior Bowl, Traquan Smith, uh, Shaquem Griffin, and Jordan Akins. There was some question about initially, would Shaquem get an invite? He did get the invite, and also Mike Hughes got an invitation. There were uh, it was a little bit late coming, but it actually came down. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, was it today? Yeah, earlier today, uh, Mike Hughes got his invitation to the scouting combine. So, um, so four UCF players um, heading to the combine should be interesting to watch if you're uh, if you're if you're a UCF fan and you want to see how these guys stack up against. But let me ask you this. I, I know that it's so easy to overanalyze this particular aspect of you think, yeah, of, you think NFL and college, right? But let me ask you this: right now, heading into the combine, which day would you project each of those four players to be picked? Okay, oh boy! All right, Just let me start with everyone. Day one is the first round only. Day two is the second and third, if I'm not mistaken, and day three is rounds four through seven. Well, I think Mike Hughes, a lot of projections have him going first round, right? It's a cornerback. He's, he's the most – I think that if anyone's going to go first round, he's the most likely from, from UCF's stock of players. Correct. and Right. I, I think he's the easy lock. He'll be the first guy taken. And 
I, I would agree with that. I, I think he it's pretty wild too. I mean, it uh, with his abilities. I'm kind of curious where he ends up, but I, he would probably be a mid to late first round pick. If and now a lot the of this too depends on helps him out too because he's uh, because sure, he because sure. he's such a good kick returner as we all know. So. Well, that's a great point. And a lot of it, this too, depends on how he does on the UCF Pro Day and the Combine, as you mentioned. So I think he's a first-round guy. Uh, you know, Traquan Smith, right? we talked to Zach Goodall last week, who covers the Jaguars. I think Traquan is a second-day guy, maybe early third-day guy. And I think he's a type of guy that could fit into a team like Jacksonville that takes a receiver late, right? Couldn't you see that as a fit? Where you know they kind of had some depth at receiver. I think Maybe he it's could somebody play himself into day one if he has a really good combine. Well, he would have to Brashad Perriman the the, the combine, yeah. right? Like he would have to like whoa. Remember that when Brashad just kind of blew him away with the forty yeah. and did it again on the UCF pro day, and that locked him into the first round, which I know caught people off guard. So I, it would have to take something like that. Otherwise, I will say he's a day two guy. But there's a lot of talented receivers that go day two and day three. D.D. Westbrook, who was a Belichnikov winner with Oklahoma, was a day, I think he was a day two or D three guy. They uh, deal. Shaquem Griffin. It's funny because there was a lot of drama about this last week about whether oh he didn't get the initial invite, and I thought it was overplayed. I knew he was going to get the invite, and I've never doubted for a second he's going to get drafted. He's probably going to get drafted in the third day. I could see it now. That'll be the ESPN storyline going into that third day, whether it's Trey Wingo hosting it or Susie Colbert, like, where is Shaquem Griffin going to go? And, you know, I, I think that's going to play. He's going to get drafted. Take a shot on Shaquem Griffin. You remember him from UCF, you know, the Correct. linebacker with one hand and all that kind of stuff, right? They're going to milk that story. That story is going to probably blow up right around middle of the second day all the way into the third day. And I think he's going to get drafted. Uh, because the kid showed he could play. And I said this when we did the Peach Bowl, when you were driving back from the Peach Bowl. He was the biggest winner of that day. I mean, when people watch tape, they're just going to put that tape of that game against Auburn and how he dominated that game. So that yeah. game alone, I think, will get him drafted. Plus, he's a kid that could play special teams. Uh, he could do it all. So I, I've never uh, really lost faith there. Aikens is interesting, right? Because physically, what you could he? see. Is he a tight end in right, the NFL or right. is he a wide receiver? I don't know. It's, you know, is he is he? And I, you know, is he, I think he's a tight end. Uh, we don't really know, right? Because he wasn't that used that much, you know, compared to other tight ends. So it's hard, you know, like an Evan Ingram, for example, who came out of Ole Miss and was your first round pick by your beloved Giants. He was used frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aikens wasn't that way here at UCF that much. So it's hard to tell where he could go. Yeah, he's six guess- two forty nine, which you know it is actually. You know, you could go one of two ways there. I mean, I, I think it's easier to have him shed the weight and become a, like, big target possession receiver. Right. But Maybe. I, but I don't know. I'm not an NFL scout. I, <laughs> I don't know how I, he projects. He's, he's hard to project because he's like a tweener with that size. Well, and, and this is the thing, right? He's probably the one guy, when you do the combine and – the pro day that could make the biggest jump, right? It could be it could be the most significant of all the group, right? Like I feel like the rest of the guys kind of are in place, barring like you said, if Traquan Smith just blows him out of the water and moves into day one with an incredible forty time. I think Aikens is kind of the guy that's going to have the most to prove to people, so he's kind of the wild card, right? Like 
it wouldn't shock me if Jordan Aikens out of nowhere gets drafted in the second day. You're like, oh, hey, look, Jordan Aikens, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I could see him get drafted in the third. Wow. Oh, yeah. I could also see where he doesn't get drafted. People are like, oh, man, I can't believe he didn't get drafted. Right. It's I can't get that. So that's going to be the one that I think people are kind of could go a lot of different ways. And I think a lot of it will depend on the impression that he makes. Right. I mean, it's going to depend on the impression uh, that he makes to uh, all these people. So that that's a. That's the one I've had the most struggle with, to, to be honest, as well. And uh, he had that serious injury. And you know how NFL teams like to nitpick those kind of things, too. Mm-hmm. So does that – how much does that hurt him? It, 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 it's interesting. I, My gut, if you put a gun to my head right now, I would say he gets drafted just because, hey, you got to – you know, if he goes in the third day, what do you got to lose, right? He's a big right. body, like you said. Maybe you could mold him into a possession receiver, a target in the red zone. Or maybe he could be like a tight end, like a – you know. Uh, a lot of it too depends how good of a blocker he is. They, if they like that, they might that might be good enough for him. So uh, he's an interesting wild card, uh, no question about it. He's an interesting wild card. Six four, you know, runs a four nine forty is the projected deal. Uh, great athlete. I mean, remember people forget he was a third round draft pick in the twenty ten amateur baseball draft by yeah. the Rangers. Uh, now here's another negative. This is the other interesting question for you. He'll be 26. Does that hurt him? Which sounds weird to say, but, you know. Chris Winkie, I think, was 26 when he was drafted, right? Uh, might have been even older. 27, somewhere around there. Might have been. Yeah, might have been older, actually. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm very – it'll be interesting. I, I, I can't really – that's a tough one to handicap. Yeah. Well, uh, my gut feeling is Hughes is a all but a lock for day one. Um, I think Traquan right now is definitely day two with the potential to go to day one. And then we'll see Jordan and Shaquem. I think we'll see Shaquem early day three, and we'll see Jordan later day three. Um, That's where it's standing right now. Obviously, we'll have to keep an eye on it. NFL NFL Combine, by the way, February 27th through March the 8th. NFL Network turns it into a big, huge television event. So um, make sure you keep an eye on that, which leads us to the final thing we're going to talk about tonight. Super Bowl. Um, Eagles, Patriots, Lopez, talk to me last, uh, what do you call it, last week when you were filling in for me because I actually had a a bout with the flu. Um, Sure. Yeah, you sure did. that That I was actually laid up because I was physically sick from having... Uh, yeah, from having the Patriots and the Eagles, two franchises that I just would rather do without, uh, to say the least, um, uh, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, listen, I, due respect to both franchises for getting where they are, you know, all that. But I don't know. I, I, I just hope the game is worth the four and a half hours to watch. Um, you know, and I can see how, yeah. Usually I root for the underdog, but that means I got to root for the Eagles, and I'm just not going to do that. Oh, come uh, on. DJ Killings, former Knight, is on the practice squad for the point. Eagles. Come on. Fair point. Well, well, would, DJ, would DJ get a ring if, if he's on the practice squad? Yeah. Okay. I think so, yeah. All right. Well, there's that. But it's still the Eagles. Go. Yeah. So um, another fun little fact that I found out, Doug Peterson, um, head coach of the Eagles, 
um, actually uh, got his a former Miami Dolphin uh, was yep. was the guy on the field who locked up Dan uh, or excuse me Don Shula's three hundred and twenty fifth victory, which yep. was uh, which pushed him past George Hallis for number one all time in the NFL at Philadelphia. Interestingly enough. Yep, I watched uh, that game as a kid. Yep. I remember that. Uh, Scott, that Scott Mitchell had Scott gotten Mitchell hurt. Scott Mitchell got hurt, right? He separated yep. his shoulder in that game. And yep. uh, Peterson came in and basically did a lot of handing the ball off to Bernie Parmalee um, and uh, and locked up that game. So uh, Peterson later went on to the Green Bay Packers where he latched on with um, you know Mike Holmgren and kind of got himself involved in that, in that whole sort of Packers, West Coast, Mike Holmgren, Mike McCarthy, you know, sort of, uh, sort, sort of, you know, uh, orbit, if you will, and you know Andy Reid and whatnot, um, and uh, was also a the quarterback. This is my favorite little bit about him. Um, was a uh, backup quarterback with the New York New Jersey Knights of the World League in 1992. He backed up. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, he was the third stringer behind two names that, if you're an old football guy, you'll remember. One is named Reggie Slack. He was a quarterback at Auburn uh, and was a backup to Warren Moon with the Houston Oilers. Uh, Mouse Davis was the head coach of that team. They ran the run and shoot back when the run and shoot was a new thing. And actually, a current coach, Brent Pease, was the number two guy. And if you're a Florida fan, you know who Brent Pease is. Um, he uh, was the offensive coordinator at, uh, I believe, at Florida. He's now the offensive coordinator at uh, UTEP. But that's an interesting little fact that I wanted to... Um, oh boy! I'm sure your audience is real fired up about Anya on that one. Well, folks remember the Orlando Thunder, right? And Scott Mitchell played for the Orlando Thunder, and um, and uh, and you know, I mean, that's something that you know people I, that people don't you know shouldn't. Are you I just doing that because? That. Are you just doing that because Trace from Nightline like was a part of the Orlando right. Thunder? Is Trace, that Trace knows uh, you hey, guys, guys? Shout Trace, out, Trace. shout out to Trace. He knows what's going on with that. Um, who do you want to win this game, Lopez? Because I don't. I, I don't. Obviously, I, obviously, as a Dolphin fan, I would prefer the Eagles to win this game. But I'm also a realist. Um, the Patriots are going to win this well, game. Who, right? Okay, there's a difference between who you want to win and who do you think will win. Yeah, I mean, I want the Eagles to win. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But you think uh, the Patriots will win? Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, especially. I mean, it doesn't help that I just finished watching 30 for 30, the two Bills. I mean, Bill Belichick is a genius. I mean, they're unfortunately, I think Nick Foles is going to go back to reality. And I think Pars- and I think Belichick will have a scheme that'll force Nick Foles to not you know play like Nick Foles did before the playoffs. <laughs> so um, yeah, unfortunately, I think the Patriots win. I think Brady they get their six. Interesting little kind of weird deal here. Think about this: when this dynasty started in 01, all right, mm-hmm. they beat the Rams. They beat the St. Louis Rams, who was an NFC West team. The right. defend- you know NFC West team who was also a previous Super Bowl champion. Okay. Then they uh, they didn't win the Super Bowl the following year in 02. In 03, they, they won the Super Bowl, who was the NFC South. NFC South. Then they went back-to-back the next year. They won the Super Bowl in a city that's never hosted the Super Bowl in Jacksonville. They beat the Eagles in the yep. Super Bowl. Fast forward during this little run. When they won their uh, most first Super Bowl in recent memory, when they had this long drought in between, they beat Seattle. Which division were they? And NFC West. West, like the Rams, and they just like the Rams were a previous Super Bowl champion. In fact, they were the defending champions. 
The Patriots didn't win the Super Bowl the following year. They lost to Peyton Manning and Denver in the AFC title game. The following year, they played uh, – last year, they played the Falcons. What division were the Falcons? South. NFC South, like Carolina. New England came back and won that game in the Super Bowl. And here we are. They're trying to go for a repeat. And who are they playing? Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles. You know what that in tells a city, me? In a city, by the way, that's never hosted a Super Bowl, Minnesota. Incorrect, by the way. I got to call you out on that. Minnesota has hosted the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. The Redskins won. Oh, Super thank, God. My, thank God. Thank that. Right. I actually that enjoyed was, that. Now, that was at enjoyed the Metrodome. But, um, All right, new state. Okay. Now, you know what that tells me? Yeah. That the NFC North sucks. <laughs> so that's, right. that's, that's what that tells me. The, the, the My line point is, is four and a half, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the Patriots and then some. Uh, and Patriots uh, I, I think the points. Okay. In fact, I will predict this will be the biggest blowout in the Patriots running the Super Bowls. They're going to win by a whopping seven points. <laughs> yeah, because their largest margin of victory, I think, was what? Six. Last, last year. Last year. Six. And an, an overtime touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, prop bets. Uh, you got some fun ones here, right? I do. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a few of them. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. See, let's see. Let's uh, let's see. I want to I take a look at here. Um, okay. Team to have the first penalty. Oh, Philadelphia. Okay, they're minus 125. Pats are plus 105. Especially people in Jacksonville, Jaguar and UCF fans were probably saying the same thing. They were crying out conspiracy theory when the Jaguars and the Patriots game was played. So, you know. uh, first song that Justin Timberlake plays at halftime. Oh God, I'm not even a Timberlake. As long as we don't have an incident, oh, an incident like we did the last time Timberlake <laughs> was in a Super Bowl with New England involved. Uh, that's the more important thing. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to defer on that. Okay, can't stop the feelings. A favorite at plus one fifty. I'll take your word for it. All right, let's Makes go sense. with that. Makes sense. Um, let's see. Okay, ratings. All right. All right. Here's where we're going to get into your wheelhouse here, uh, Lopez. All right. Um, let's see here. The uh, uh, over-under for the Nielsen rating is 45.5. Over-under for the total number of viewers is 111.5 million. Oh, I'll take ooh. Just a little, a little, uh, a little context for you, okay? Yeah. Last year, forty-five point three, one eleven point three two. The year before, Denver, Carolina, forty-six point six, one eleven point eight six. New England, Seattle, uh, in twenty fifteen, forty-seven point five. That's the highest rated out of all those, and one hundred and fourteen point four four million i will go under because a that's been the trend in the nfl a little bit and i okay. can see that's minus the prob- 30 by the way is the under in the uh, and, and and the problem is as you know this if the game's not any good people you know kind of not watch anymore or whatever although there's not really any alternative program but uh, i will play the safe bet i think the safe bet is to go under in this Obviously, what could screw me on this if this game turns into a classic and people are tuning in in the fourth quarter and it's a wild one? It's I'm going to go under slightly. Okay, and you're going under the 111.5 million. Yes, if I think it'll do like I think it'll do about like 110.9 or something. If that's true, it would be the third consecutive year that uh, both ratings and viewership have declined. Doesn't surprise me though. I mean, you've been a master. You know, people cut the cord, right? I mean, that's a factor in this. 
People aren't watching the games on television. They're watching it on a stream. They're watching it at a bar. They're watching it at a friend's place. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. That, that's that's been the trend, and um, I, I could see that. Um, I, I, I don't feel sorry. If you're asking me to feel sorry for the NFL, I don't. They just signed a $560 million deal, by the way, to, with Fox to carry Thursday night football for the next five Thursday years. Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. Thursday but, night. Yeah, Thursday night. Remember that? Yeah, the one that nobody wants, right? The, 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 the day that nobody wants to play. Oh, you know, yeah, $560 million. There's still a demand. <laughs> um, okay, here we go. Uh, will any player break the Super Bowl record set last year of 466 passing yards? Yes, plus 1,000, no, minus 3,000. No, I will okay. say no because I think both defenses are good. Um, and I think they'll be, yeah, I, I will say no. Brady also threw a 66 times last year or something. He said, almost set the Correct. record for the uh, interesting enough, the NFL any game, any game, NFL record for attempts, passing attempts by one player is 70. And that's by Drew Bledsoe, of all people. Um, let's say. Uh, what color hoodie will Bill Belichick wear? I know uh, which one he won't. It, it won't be red. So if okay. that's an option, scratch that out because that was the one he wore against the Giants when they went perfect. That perfect season, right. the Giants beat. Well, red's plus five hundred. Uh, blue is nope. plus one forty. Gray is plus one twenty. They're wearing whites, so I will say he wears gray. Okay. All right. Um. But if you're really if you're really sicko and want to bet on this, what I would suggest is watch the highlights from last year's Super Bowl and the Seattle Super Bowl and see what he wore, and he'll wear something right. similar. That's my prediction. All right, most most valuable player. Tom Brady is the favorite at minus one thirty. So you got to put up one thirty to win a hundred. Um, Nick Foles plus three fifty. Gronk plus fifteen hundred. Deion Lewis plus uh, is uh, twenty to one. Brandon Cooks twenty-two to one, Rex Burkhead twenty-five to one, Jay Ajayi twenty-five to one, Zach Ertz twenty-five to one, um, Alshon Jeffrey and Danny Amendola thirty to one. Um, would you go with Brady or the field? Brady. Okay. And quarterbacks always get the benefit of the doubt in this MVP race, so uh, he's a heavy favorite. Uh, be, you know, even though I could see a scenario where if Gronkowski has a huge game that he could steal it, but no, I, it, the safe bet is to Brady because uh, they always win in doubt. They always go with the quarterback. All right, players to score, player to score the first touchdown. Gronk is the favorite at plus six fifty. Well, this is interesting. There was a stat that was reached where the Patriots, I believe, have not scored in the first quarter of any of their Super Bowls. I believe that was, or at least a touchdown, something like that. Um. That has been an interesting, weird trend. I don't read in. I don't know what to read into that. But here, here's one that's interesting. I would go field goal. By the way, I don't know if that's allowed, but I would go field goal. Well, well it's point. the player to score the first touchdown. So not which not which one. All right. The first uh, now here, here's yeah. here's one thing that I think if you're if you're a real degenerate, you might be interested in. Brady, Tom Brady, is is a twenty five to one. So he's plus 2,500 to score the first touchdown. And, which basically means he would have to run it in. Right. Which one-yard sneak, right? Right. Uh, shortest touchdown scored over 1.5 yards, under 1.5 yards. It's minus 115 each. So you could probably pair that up, right? Longest, okay, yeah. here's one. Longest touchdown scored 
over 42 and a half. It's 115 uh, over or under. So where are you going, over or under? 42, you said? 42 and a half. I'm going to go under. I think both defenses will – I don't know if those – I'll see big plays here over – like that That would mean that they would have to give up like a 50, 43, 45, 50-yard play. I'll, I'll trust the defense. I'll say under. Okay. Um, this is uh, This is my favorite one out of all of them. Will there be a punt return for a touchdown? Um, yes is plus 1,000, so that's 10 to 1. No is minus 2,000. Why, why is this my favorite one? Because in 52 years, we have never had a punt return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I'll say that streak continues. Okay. All right. Um, exact margin of victory, seven points or not seven points? I just said it. Seven, baby. Seven, I'm okay. going seven. All right. Oh. That's, that's plus 520. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to get to a really fun one toward the end. Oh, um, will there be a safety? Yes. Plus 600. No minus 1400. I I tell you what, I would, I would be pounding the yes. If the giants were in this game, because if, if I'm not mistaken, the giants have had a safety has taken place in every super bowl that the giants have played in except for one. Well, right, and their most recent one against New England, the first point of the game was a safety, right. if I remember and correctly. Intentional grounding and the in the end zone on Brady. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, Is there any? And no UCF props. I'm noticing no UCF. No UCF props because there's no UCF oh. players. Um, so there's no like over under like reference. No, no, no. Okay. no unfortunately, it's a bummer. Um, oh, something about Al Michaels. You want an Al Michaels thing? Yeah, and I'll give you a prediction now about Al Michaels after this. Yes. Okay. Uh, will Al Michaels say the word Vegas? Yes, plus 240, no minus 300. Ooh, no, he's very cre- clever. He likes to uh, kind of, a, you know, he'll use little terms that you know what he's talking about. That's mm-hmm. an inside joke. Like, well, this game is really over now, or, oh, this is very underwhelming. You know, things like that. I think he'll be creative. I'm going to give you this bold prediction. Okay. I, th- I think this is Al Michaels' last NFL broadcast. I think see, he's, this he, is it. See, now he said he wants to keep on going. He's not even thinking about retiring. Well, that's what he says now. Right. But thanks. Bob Costas was supposed to host this pregame show. Here's the thing. It, 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 I hope I'm wrong on that. I just – he says that now because, you know, it does a lot of attention. But, you know, the NBC is not doing any Thursday night football anytime soon. So Tariqa's when is Mike – Tari- wings, right? Yeah. Right. And, you know, he's already replaced Bob Costas for the Olympics, Winter Olympics in Korea. And for and Costas was announced last year that he would this would be his last Super Bowl. Well, he's not even involved in the Super Bowl. There's some controversy about that. Some people think it's because of some negative comments that Costas made about the NFL recently and things like that. Who knows? I, I just to me, if you're Al Michaels, if this ends as a classic game. What better way to go out than doing a Super Bowl? Because the next Super Bowl, I, I just I, I think sooner or later, Tariqa is obviously going to take over. And I, I think I know Al said that now, but that's kind of to deflect the the attention. I wouldn't be surprised if a few months from now he changes his tune. Um, will Peyton? How many commercials will Peyton Manning appear in during the broadcast? Over under two and a half. Under, I'll go two. Under, okay. hopefully, yeah, two. Okay. How many times will the word dilly be said during the broadcast? 
Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. One? Over under 12 and a half. No, it can't really? be one because everything's dilly dilly. The commercial, the the, uh, the beer commercial. Bud Light. Oh, so you're counting the commercials. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, then, yeah, probably over just because there's a lot of beer commercials in right. Super Bowl. So they, might, very... they might break it in the first, uh, in the first right. ad. So I'm going to go over on that one. And then finally, last but not least, the best fun one out there and the one that you've all been waiting for. Winner of the 14th annual Puppy Bowl, Team Fluff or Team Rough? Fluff or Rough? Yeah. Fluff or Rough? By Where do the they come is, up with those things? This is what this is this is what my wife turns on um, you know, before the game. She she she's like, "Listen, you have the four and a half hour game." The, the and I'm with her. She's like, "I'm I'm not watching 6 hours of pregame." Put the puppy bowl on. And I'm like, all right, no problem. We can we can get you guys watch the puppy bowl while I cook, and and then when the puppy bowl's over, we'll, we flip the game on 6 p.m. Who came up with fluff and rough? Animal Planet, I guess. Uh, you know, where's the other theme? Where's the third team for a dog? Like, no, you know, there's, I mean, o- there's only two teams. It's the puppy bowl, Eric Lopez. It's it's it's. I disagree. No- it's, uh, this sounds to me like a conspiracy, a Power Five conspiracy here. And uh, I don't, you know, we're gonna. De- I'm gonna declare another dog a champion. I'm not declaring the fluff or the puff the champion at all. I want, I want to declare a champion. No, no fluff or puff. No, no, no way. Okay, so, so, so you're out on team fluff and team rough here. So, I mean, if I, I how can you go against rough in a puppy bowl, right? You gotta go. You gotta go with rough. Right. He's gonna rough it up, right? All right. All right. So you're going with team rough, right? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm going to see how many German shepherds are on the uh, are on the, the team rough roster at some point. I'm hope, hope, gotcha. Maybe that'll help us out. All right, so that'll do it for our Super Bowl prop bets. What uh, channel is that game on? Just in case the Super Bowl gets routed, what channel is this on? Animal what is this Planet. On? All right, I got it. DVR'd it. All right, ready to roll. Knock it out right there. So, all right, so that'll do it. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, what do you got coming up this weekend, Eric? I'm going to be at basketball. Houston uh, and too, the women's huh? game. Get- Interesting. That's the. Double dip, baby. <laughs> Houston and Memphis. That's correct. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, that'll be my weekend. And then, uh, yeah, I'll sit through another Patriots Super Bowl win probably on Sunday. <laughs> I will be uh, there as well Saturday. I'm doing PA for the women's game uh, after the conclusion of the men's game. Uh, scheduled for about 2 p.m. So uh, I will be there for that. Hopefully everybody will stick around, watch the game, and, uh, and give uh, – and uh, give UCF women's basketball some love because I think they deserve it right now. They could be uh, getting ready to make some serious noise in the conference. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Let's finish this thing up, Eric Lopez. Uh, once again, thanks to everyone watching. Or thanks to everyone listening. We're not, we're not doing video yet, are we? Um, thanks to everyone listening. Uh, to all of you who've, uh, who uh, subscribe to our podcast, as always, on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Be sure to hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Ask us some questions on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. We'll uh, hopefully read them in the next uh, couple weeks here if you send us some questions. Um, and then also on Twitter, UCF underscore banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to follow Spokes uh, underscore Murphy for our buddy Brian Murphy. And um, and also underscore DS Warden for our photographer, uh, Derek Warden as well. Also, Big thanks to our sponsor, the Unger Real Estate Group. Thank you to Sam, as always, for his support. And also thank you, the fans. Eric, I'll talk to you this weekend, bud. I'll see you Saturday at the arena. 
Sounds good. And hopefully we will see you Saturday at the arena as well for Eric Lopez. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.